I'm standing outside of Betty's used books in Chase, British Columbia. Forest fires are raging all through the province, but for now we are safe. I only mention this because the sky seems to be orange with smoke that is blowing in our direction. The town smells like a campfire. As I walk into Betty's used bookstore, which seems to be a very nice conversion of a shed into a shop, a man walks past me and says, Betty will be with you shortly. Upon entering, I'm greeted with the smell and charm that only a used bookstore can provide. I later find out the man's name from the driveway is Ralph, Betty's husband. After looking around the bookstore for a while, I find a real gem, the Vinyl Cafe Notebooks by Stuart McLean, and it's a signed copy. Delighted, I return home, home being in quotes because I'm never in one place long enough for that title to stick. The next day, I called Betty and asked if she would like to record a podcast with me. She politely declined as she tends to shy away from the microphone. This is fair. It's common. She did suggest I sit down with her partner and husband, Ralph, so I did. The following day, I returned to the bookstore to have a chat with Ralph. Cool. So what I'll do beforehand is just give a little brief introduction. Like, I'll record that another time so we can just keep, we can just start now. Um, so yeah, thanks for having me here. Um, I'm with Ralph. Uh, the reason why I met Ralph was through, uh, I guess through Betty's used book sign. I popped in and uh, purchased a book from Betty in her lovely shop there. It's behind their house in Chase, BC. And I was wondering if I could get an interview with um, Betty, but when I called, uh, I was informed that maybe Ralph would be a better person to speak to. Betty's a little shy with the microphone and stuff, which is understandable. I mean, it's kind of a awkward thing if you've never done it before. So uh, I'm sitting down with Ralph here now, and uh, we're just going to talk a little bit about his history, Betty's books, about Chase. Uh, he mentioned he was a, a logger for a little while, so I'd like to get into that. So yeah, thanks for having me, Ralph. Oh, well, it's good to have you. Uh, but I think uh, Betty was passing the buck. Oh, that's what she was doing. Uh, but no, she she doesn't. Uh, uh, she's a good writer, but she doesn't like interviewing that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, actually, she's done a, quite a bit of writing. Uh, she's done a big research project on the Sons of the Pioneers. Are you old enough to remember them? Probably not. Bob Nolan, who was a man from Nova Scotia, or grew up as a boy there, and went down into the States. Uh, his father was a Canadian, and uh, his parents separated. His father took him into the States. And just to make it, to shorten it a bit here, uh, he was uh, a young man in California, uh, Hollywood, broke, no money, no job, and he met he met this man who eventually became Roy Rogers, and they could both sing and play guitar, and they got on a radio station, and uh, then eventually they formed the group, the Sons of the Pioneers, and it's history. Um, anyway, Betty did a big research project on Nolan, and everything is uh, archived in the University of South Carolina with the... Uh, or North Carolina, uh, in the Southern Folklife Collection, all her information. And uh, I've been uh, watching this over the years. She's been working on it. She's actually uh, um, she's put together a website um, 
along with Bob Nolan's son-in-law who lives in Las Vegas, uh, um, grandson, I'm sorry. And uh, the website is, uh, if you're, uh, if you use the internet, it's well worth looking at. It's old Western music. It's not modern music. Um, um, Sons of Pioneer, it was called. Yeah, I, I don't, I don't. I'll give you the. Uh, um, it's S O P, which is Sons of the Pioneers. So uh, probably just Google that, and it would come up. Yeah, eh, the website. It, at bobnolan.com or something like that. If you Google it, it'll come right, come up right away. Where did the interest for that come from? When she was young, uh, she was a fan of the Sons of the Pioneers. Okay. It's, it's old Western music, and um, the, their group has carried on all different people now, of course. And uh, just about a month ago, we, we um, went to a show in Kamloops, in the Sagebrush Theater, the modern Sons of the Pioneers are touring in Canada. Okay. Very good. Anyway, that's my wife, and so, uh, like I said, she can write, but she wants nothing to do with the microphone, which uh, I'm not fussy about it either, but uh, Jordan's, uh, um, uh, he's a, uh, I don't know the word for him, but he's a he's a very interesting fellow, and uh, I'll go along with this. <laughs> All right, thanks. That's great. Um, so the bookstore here, uh, I love going to like roadside bookstores or any old. They all have their their charm. You know, you walk in and um, the way they look, the way they smell, it's it's so nice. Uh, so, what was the origin story of of the bookstore here? Uh, I'll t- try to keep it. Uh, you can be it a bit for you, but yeah. Uh, the history of the bookstore. Um, Betty has always been a, an avid reader, had a, a lot of books of her own. She was a school teacher in her younger days, and uh, uh, she left school teaching and raised, raised four children for us. And she never did go back to teaching because she would have had to upgrade her certificate and so on. But she worked as a librarian for a while. But uh, she uh, she had quite a collection, and uh, when the um, internet sales got going, she uh, started selling some of her own collection online at abeabooks.com. Okay. And uh, uh, it, it was interesting because the world is your market, and you wind up communicating by email with people all over the world and shipping books literally all over the world. Um, she started it, and I, I was still working. I was working in the woods, but getting to the age where it's time to quit, I stayed there too long. It's a young man's job. But uh, before uh, before I left, uh, quit my job, I remodeled our old two-car garage. I put a storefront on it and set her up selling used books. And uh, like I said, she sold online. And so when I when I um, retired from the woods, um, basically uh, uh, she told me that you can run a chainsaw, but now uh, you have to run a computer. Yeah. So I wound up helping her with the online sales, and it was very interesting. Uh, your biggest market was the U.S. because of the population, but. 
literally we ship books all over the world. Um, but what brought an end to that was uh, Canada Post rates. And uh, um, our biggest market, like I said, was the U.S., but they have a, a book rate, a media rate for shipping books in the U.S. And they'll ship a book for about half of what we do, their cost. So how do you compete with a dealer down there? So finally, um, we decided that um, we would just open up a little storefront here and uh, and quit selling online because the margin of profit just wasn't there when you're paying that kind of shipping for the books. And uh, so here we are. Um, so how long has it been there approximately for? How long have you had the physical shop? About 15 years now. Okay. Yeah, about that. And uh, it's it's turned turned out pretty good. Basically what it is, it's, uh, it's a supplement to our income because I worked uh, non-union work in the woods and so there, there was no company pension. So all we have is the CPP and the old age pension and some savings and so the, the store profit from the store offsets that a bit. It just it picks up the slack and, Great. and uh, so far it's working. Yeah, that's awesome. And it's interesting. Uh, yeah. Book people are interesting, just like Jordan here. <laughs> <laughs> that's good to hear. Um, so I'm interested about your, your career pre-Betty's bookstore. Um, well, I'll you mentioned you were in the woods. Uh, I'll take you a little further back. Which sure, yeah. You, you'll, you'll wonder how this all come about. Can you hold the mic, sorry, a little bit close. Yeah, there you go. Perfect. <laughs> I trained with the Mounted Police in uh, Saskatchewan and Regina in 1962. And uh, at that time, you signed a contract for five years. And I was, uh, my first posting was Prince Rupert, North Coast of British Columbia. And uh, just so happened that that, <clears throat> that was 1963, I was posted there. And Betty... My wife grew up in southern British Columbia, and uh, her first teaching job was Prince Rupert that same year, and that's where we met. <clears throat> we were married about two and a half years later, I guess. But when my five-year contract was up, I, I had uh, worked in Prince Rupert and Smithers, and I decided that I just wanted to... I like to work with my hands, and uh, the... Uh, at that time, the uh, the pay was not good in the uh, in the Mount Place. Uh, it's a little different now. Anyway, I I went to work in the woods, uh, logging, and uh, wound up uh, tow boating and bo um, booming logs in out of Prince Rupert, and we lived there for eleven years, and we had four children. And uh, work was a little slack up there, and it, it's a little remote when my wife's uh, folks were all down here around Chase. My relatives were all in Saskatchewan, so just to visit the grandparents was a, a long trip. So we moved down here in 78, and uh, I worked in the woods here from 78 till oh, about 10 Ten years ago, I guess, and uh, um, that's when when I retired from the woods. That's when I uh, went to work 
helping Betty. Okay. So you're in uh, you're in Prince Rupert before you came here. Yes. What was like you said it was a remote um, area up there, and it was the early '60s. What was the well, was probably the mid '60s at that point in time? You said you had you had started in '62. Six, the- yeah, it was '64. I, I was in. I went to Prince Rupert in '63. Okay, so what would um, to just like paint a picture of your house and like your day to day in that time period in that part of the the province? What did it look like? Okay. When I say remote, uh, it's just that it's a long ways from. Southern British Columbia. Okay. Uh, you know, with uh, driving with little kids, it would take us about two days to drive down here. It, uh, what would it take now? Uh, well, I have done it in one day, and it would take about oh, 14, 15 hours steady okay. driving. Back then, was it gravel road the whole uh, way? Part of it was, actually. There was some, uh, even one-lane sections where you had to stop or back up to meet traffic uh, there from Smithers to Hazleton. Hazleton the Terrace, and uh, there was some of that even Terrace to Prince Rupert. But that's all changed now. It's all good modern highway right to the coast. Yeah. And but that is the only road in, and in the other uh, only other access you can fly in and out of Prince Rupert, Vancouver, or uh, the BC ferries used to stop there. I, I don't know just what is happening there right now and the Alaska ferry stop in Prince Herbert. Um, very interesting town. Talk about multiculture. Uh, for that time in particular, um, we had a lot of First Nations people. They would come to town. Uh, they worked in the canneries in the, the salmon industry. It was big time then. And, uh, and several reserves nearby and then the um, Nass River and whatnot, um, and at that time uh, they had uh, two pulp mills in Prince Rupert. Uh, I don't, I don't believe they have either one of them running anymore. Um, that was the uh, the main source of employment. Actually, I, I would say the pulp mills were the big thing, and the fishing, commercial fishing, which is uh, almost non-existent now too yeah you said uh you're tow boating what's tow boating tow boating yeah that's well that was part of the logging and booming logs you know and, and what's booming logs booming logs okay <laughs> uh, the the most economical way to move logs or wood like that raw wood is on the water and uh, on the coast that's the way they did it they uh, early days they made huge rafts and they lashed them together with cable and they would tow them even from the Queen Charlotte Islands to the mainland but in my day they were they had switched to barges uh, they had what they called a self-loading self-dumping barge it was towed by a, a towboat mm-hmm. and uh, the big two big cranes mounted on it and they would load that barge and then when they got to their destination they flooded one side of that barge and uh, it would lay right over and the logs would all slide off, hopefully. Um, and when they slid off, uh, our job was to, uh, to um, sort those logs and prepare them. At that time they were shipping a lot of raw logs to Japan. And uh, the company I worked for, that was their business. The logs all had to be sorted and graded and prepared to load on ship. And, uh, 
pretty well and pretty well what I did for 11 years mainly and then I, I did uh, work the towboats too moving this wood um, in and out of the harbor and and uh, from the harbor to the pulp mill and or up and down the coast very interesting work if you liked working outside didn't yeah didn't mind the weather and rained a lot in Prince Rupert would that mainly be in um, the spring summer fall months like if it was winter would you be able to tow boat it was uh, we would only get shut down for maybe a month six weeks in the winter the top end of the harbor where they stored logs had a lot of salt uh, fresh water on top of the salt and it would actually freeze over but uh, some winters it wouldn't even freeze um, it's fairly mild uh, being coastal weather but colder than Vancouver mm-hmm. so if, it, if the uh, top end of the inlet froze over well then we'd have to shut down until it broke up okay now you mentioned um, living in Prince Rupert was interesting you smiled when you said interesting oh. <laughs> Yeah, well, uh, when I went there, uh, stationed there with the RCMP, that was in the 60s, just uh, previous to that, oh, a couple of years, they had a, a major riot. Uh, the mayor had to read the riot act and all. Um, at that time, you would get, uh, it was a couple block section there with about four local pubs that emptied right onto the street there and uh, sorry just a little closer at the mic again and they, there you go perfect they would uh, close in time about 12:30 these pubs all emptied onto the street and of course folks are hungry and there's a, co- a few two or three restaurants that stayed open to accommodate them but uh, after they'd been drinking all night and uh, now were you a part of this hungry mob or were no, you just on well, sometimes <laughs> yeah but no, mainly um, the uh, our job was to uh, at that time uh, was to patrol those those two block areas and uh, trouble started. Uh, usually, it was a fight or an assault or something, and uh, you had to uh, pick out the troublemaker and uh, give him a, a room for the night. And uh, really, I, I my experience there was not. It was pretty mild. It was just liquor was your problem. Yeah. Uh, there was very little uh, drug activity at all at that time. But uh, the, the folks come to town, they, they've uh, been fishing or working in the cannery, they're making good money, and it's summertime and uh, they're celebrating. So, But this, um, it never got that far, well, uh, that bad when I was there, but uh, it would get a little tense often. And. Uh, but there was a, a real cross-section of uh, nationalities there. Um, we had a lot of um, uh, Italians, they, Italian immigrants, very good people, hard-working people. They came to work, a lot of them, they worked on the railway or uh, they worked for the city. Um, they worked at just about anything. Some got into business, did very well. We had uh, quite a few. I worked with men from Yugoslavia. Uh, there again, good, hard-working immigrants that, that came here and weren't looking, weren't thinking that the world owed them a living. They were willing to work for it. And uh, pulp mill was a probably a major employee, other than the the, the fishing and the canneries. Um, 
and uh, all the variety, Scandinavian people. It, it just it was a place to work. Wow. And uh, these people wanted to work, and um, we enjoyed it there. We really did. That's great. So after Prince Rupert, you came down here, and it was for logging as well. What year was that that you would have come to Chase? That was 78. 78, okay. And Chase was predominantly like a milling, like logging town. That was um, its foundation? Chase has always been, since in my day, has always been a a tourist. Um, Not not even so much Chase, but the North Shuswap. The population on the north side of the lake there goes from about... 10,000 to 30,000 in the summer with the tourists, but the big mill at Adams Lake and uh, that, uh, of course, there, there was, it's a sawmill that needs wood, so a lot of logging contractors here. And another big mill, at, uh, it's still operating, both these are the one at Canoe on over by Salmon Arm. And, um, um, they took timber from the north end of the big lake there, um, Seymour Arm, and they had a logging camp there. And that's where I spent Monday to Friday for um, oh, 15, 20 years. Um, and the wood went in the water. There we go again, wood in the water. Cheapest yeah. way to move it. They trucked it to the, and dumped it in the, in the water there. And uh, they, they don't allow that... Uh, they won't allow any new log dumps anymore the, uh, because of the environment. But um, they, they had a log dump at Seymour Arm and one here at Lake Creek, just this end of the big lake. And then they would tow that wood all the way to Canoe over by Salmon Arm. So log dumps are just where the logs would enter the water and would be the moved? truck into the water, yeah. Oh, okay. And then they were just what they called a bag boom on the lake. It's simple to move wood because you just run a set of boomsticks around your wood and they came off the trucks in bundles and uh, the uh, one little boat um, at one I know even on the coast there they said like a small towboat could could handle about four million board feet of wood which is a lot of wood in the water and uh, where uh, a truck a truckload Alone is, um, oh, well, it's uh, it's a drop in a bucket compared to four million board feet, and uh, so that, like I say, the amount of wood you can move in the water with with uh, very little power really is, uh, makes all the difference. So, but they would never allow them to start a, a new log dump existing ones they allowed them to keep going okay um briefly before we started there um you were mentioning the um, environmental implications (coughs) of logging um i don't know much about it myself um but as someone who's been in the industry or was in the industry for such a long time um what do you what would be your thoughts on the implications of mass logging in the bc area well yes um there's no question about it it, it was a problem, and uh, like I gave you the name of a gentleman who could tell you a lot more about that. Um, but things were done in the woods that should never have been done. And uh, I would say back, oh, back in the 80s, 
the uh, government started to clamp down on it and uh, um, new regulations in the woods and rightly so it was it was overdue and uh, it's done a lot differently now one of the main things is they handle the um, the steep slopes and the water better because it, it was the uh, runoff or the um, erosion and uh, um, landslides that uh, made a mess after the logging and all that was was an accumulation of water where it shouldn't be. Water in its natural uh, course is, does fine. Uh, once in a while it'll, nature will go a little wild but if you get it out of its natural course uh, and it pools somewhere on the hillside and then you get a, a landslide mm. wash out a road there um, anyway that's uh, they're doing it differently now yeah it's controlled yeah after having spent so much time in uh, nature and like working outside especially in the industry do you have any observations about um I'm not sure what I'm getting at. Just like the patterns of of nature, maybe weather patterns, um, animal patterns. Interesting, um, say like uh, observations that were applied to other aspects of your life. Or, do you know what I'm getting at? Like uh, not quite. Okay, uh, uh, just keep on uh, <laughs> chipping away. Um, well, for example, having lived around here for um, the period of time that you have, have you noticed? Um, seasonal shifts in temperature or the absence of an animal or an insect or maybe more of one thing or the other? Well, weather-wise, uh, definitely. Um, you look out on my front lawn there. There was a time in the winter. Can you describe your front lawn? <laughs> okay, it's a, we, we have an acre of ground here. And the front lawn is, I would, I would say, maybe about 80 feet by... 40, maybe a little bigger. And uh, it's just, it's not good lawn, it's it's grass. Um, and it's not even perfectly level. But I had a hydrant out there at the property line um, that they called it a stop and drain. Um, you could, in the wintertime, you could uh, run water out of it. When you shut it off, it drained underground so it didn't freeze up. I would make a skating rink out on that lawn for the for the kids, I had four children, and uh, it took a lot of water and took a lot of work, and of course it took like minus 20, minus 25, and uh, some snow, which we got lots of it uh, when when we first came down here. Um, you know, minus 25 was not uncommon in the winter and and colder. Uh, it would things would freeze up late October and. Uh, and it, you'd be well into March before they broke up again. It's uh, that's changed a bit. So warmer winters. Warmer winters, definitely. Um, I'm sure you could get that information from a better source than me, but uh, definitely we've seen that. And that's 40 years uh, we've been looking at it. Um, now, how about the summer? This is my first time spending any amount of time in the interior of BC, and it's hot. It's hot for me. Hot. Yeah, like my wife actually grew up as a child in this area, and uh, she said she remembers it a lot hotter. Okay. But, uh, um, and I've seen it 
you know, we've had some hot years. But uh, I, yeah, I, I wouldn't say that this heat is unusual, but extended periods of this, like this without rain, um, yeah, this is the last few years, and that's where your um, forest fire problem comes from. Mm. Um, like I said, somebody has probably got all the records for this, but... Uh, no, it's interesting to hear your own take, because it's obviously something you would have noticed over that period mm -hmm. of time, right? So if someone comes to Chase, um, what should they do? What would you tell someone to see? You mean as a tourist? Or? Yeah. <clears throat> Depending on what they're interested in. Of course, we get the book people coming in here, like okay. yourself. Um, uh, if they... Uh, well, where a lot of our summer customers come from, uh, they have uh, summer homes or they're um, in campsites out on the, the big lake. Chase itself, um, there's two lakes. The, the Big Shoe Swap, which is kind of an H shape, and Salmon Arm is over on the other side. There. Um, that's the biggest body of water, and uh, the Adams River flows into the Big Shoe Swap just before the big shoe swap drains into the little shoe swap, which is at Chase. And so the little shoe swap winds up being almost like a wide spot in the Adams River, and it's cold. Uh, if you want nice warm swimming temperatures and beaches, you have to go up onto the big lake. We have a beach here, but it's nothing like the beaches on the big lake. Okay. Scotch Creek on the big lake is a Scotch Creek. preferred place. Seymour Arm has beautiful beaches. And the water is much warmer for swimming and boating, of course. Um, the Sycamuse over there used to be called the house capital, houseboat capital of the world because of the amount of uh, houseboats that they rent in the summer on the Shuswap. Now that's one of the biggest drawing cards, I would say, for people is the lake, mm -hmm. the big lake. And... Uh, other things to do around here, of course, you know, you can go out wilderness camping, and the government has some campsites out on through uh, on some of the logging roads and that. Uh, you can access them, and they're just more uh, just a, a cleared place with some picnic tables and outhouses, and um, but they're there. Um, but on on the uh, North Shoe Swap, there's. There's some private campgrounds, but a big government campsite. But it's got now so uh, crowded out there, you have to book ahead mm. to get into that campsite. You'll book here two weeks. And, and we get those people coming here. They do their shift at their the time. They're allotted time at the campsite. But they'll they'll come out of Calgary. And they'll come in a chase and come in here and stock up on books before they go out to their summer uh -huh. home or their cabin. And uh, that's very helpful for us. Um, and the same thing, people from the coast will come up and do the same thing. I noticed on a lot of the, um, well, I noticed on all the uh, garbage bins that you guys have, the bighorn sheep. Is that mm. a prevalent animal in the area? Mm -hmm. That's interesting because I've been told that, no, it's not even really native to this area. It was introduced on this mountain across the creek here. Um, oh, long before my time and they survive but uh, they have pretty well died off a couple times I think they get a disease it's called uh, it's a lungworm and uh, it could be from overcrowding or 
inbreeding and whatnot here. And uh, so they will bring in uh, they will bring in other sheep from another area, uh, different breeding stock. And uh, but no, it's not the major. It, it's only only right here uh, on this mountain. Um, there are some by Kamloops, to a few, but uh, uh, oh, I've seen it when you could maybe run into a herd on this mountain about five or six big full curl rams or something, and then a herd of does and little ones. Is that what you call the horns, curl rams? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. The, the, when I say a full curl, it'll come right around. Oh, okay. It'll, it'll come up and then back around like that. Like the one on the garbage bin. The one you see the picture of. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's right. And Chase has taken that for their kind of town logo or something. So you'll see it on the, the sides of the village trucks and whatnot. But, yeah. Uh, but really, this is not what you'd call bighorn country. Where would that be? More Kamloops? Or? Uh, no, Kamloops is about as bad as Chase. They've oh, got okay. a herd there. But uh, you get down into, I think, in down around... Um, down the Fraser Valley there in some of that rough country. Um, well, uh, Lytton, Lillooet, but also you go back towards um, Revelstoke and then you're getting back into sheep country. Yeah, I think we saw some um, on the drive through when we got near Revelstoke. There were some on the highway and that's right. people slowing down. And The sad part here too in Chase, they'll come down off that hill in the wintertime to lick the salt on the highway yeah. and get hit with traffic. Yeah. It's quite common. Mm. That's too bad. Um, but I mean, they love salt for some reason. Well, yeah, it's uh, animals are like that. You know, they, uh, um, they, that's why there's even such things as natural salt licks in the woods in places that where the wild animals will use them. What would be an occurrence of a, a natural salt lick? Like, I don't know for sure, really. It's like I just yeah. imagine them looking inside the trees or something. Sap. Well, no, more there, there would be something to do with the rock or the um, maybe an old water course or something. I, I, I don't understand, but uh, I can't say I've ever seen one. I've seen where uh, people will put out salt licks to attract the animals, and, and they will come. Um, well, this is about as us humans. Think about the last package of uh, potato chips you bought. Oh yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know? Yeah, and, and uh, that that doesn't last very long, does it? No, no sir. No. <laughs> and it's the salt, really. You know. Yeah. Yeah. I try not to bring it into the house because as soon as soon as it comes in, it's gone. You know. Yeah. Exactly. There's no such thing as rationing it. <laughs> right. But as for other things to do in the shoe swap, now in Chase, they did you you've noticed they've got the zip line. Oh yeah, that's right. Yeah, and uh, it's unfortunately it's kind of pathetic as as a zip line goes. I think it's forty five minutes seconds or something or a minute. Oh, okay, the, from the top to bottom. Are there multiple sections to it, or is it just um, the one? It, they have a short section above the main jump off there. You'll come down a bit, and you can hike up there and take a look at it. Um, it's the little waterfall there. Uh, yeah. No, you've got to go. Uh, you go up. Between the cemetery and the department of highways yard, that gravel pit. Okay. And uh, sometimes there's a big gate there, and it, it's if it's locked, the people that run the zip line have a key for it. 
that road goes up to a, a water diversion in, way up in the canyon. And that water diversion provides irrigation for the VLA flat over here. Okay. And uh, anyway, they, they go up there. to That's where they put in the, the jump off for the zip line. And they had, like I said, they went in a little further and had a short, kind of an easy one. Um, and you can come down to the main one. And the next main one brings you right down to the highway there. That's it. That's what they, that, and that's it. And it's fast. I wouldn't pay seventy five dollars to do it. I I enjoy hiking. I hike on both these mountains. Uh, and, okay. Uh, but for yourself, if uh, you know you and and your girlfriend, if you'd like a, a walk someday, it's you can go from there, and you can either go if you see that locked gate, two big um, chain link gates, just go around the right side of it. You can walk around it. It's mainly to keep traffic out, and uh, you can walk up there, get a good view of the town. You can walk around and see the, the zip where the zip line starts. Walk in a little further, you can see where the the end of that road. It it's nice in this weather. It's very cool in the, by the creek there in the canyon, and they you can walk right to the water diversion where they divert it into a a big pipe that brings it over for irrigation on the flat. Uh, or you can hike up the other way from the cemetery, and you can go up switchbacks. And it'll take you right up. Beyond that, you can go right through to the road that goes to uh, the Chase Falkland Road up there. Uh, you can you can take a. Uh, you'd want a four-wheel drive to go up that old road now, but okay. it was the original access road to Chase Creek. We um we drove up the road that leads to uh, I guess it's like a back road that goes to Falkland, mm-hmm. and it goes by Turtle Valley. Yeah, is that is there anything over there to see like Turtle Valley? Yeah. Well, you can go over there and come back to the highway again out by Squilax. You know, you know where Squilax is. You've I've been, seen it on a, on a map. <laughs> yeah, you can come back to the Trans Canada Highway there. Okay. It's interesting. It's, it's just farms, acreages, and farms, and uh, it's an interesting drive. Uh, and actually, you can go from there. You can run around behind the mountain by Skamekin and come out by Tappan over by Salmon Arm. Uh, there again, nice drive, but it's just acreages. And, yeah. Um, uh, one last question for you. Are there any like urban myths or legends or, you know, stories that people might know from around here, from this area? No, you know, I couldn't help you with anything like that. As far as a history of this, 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 it's actually called a book called A Town Called Chase. Okay. It was written by Joyce Dunn. And actually, I, I think they sell new copies over at the, uh, the tourist bureau across the road there. I know if, uh, if we pick up used copies, we sell them all. It's, it's, about the only real um, kind of a concise history of the town of Chase. Some people are critical of it. Uh, some of the old timers say, oh, well, she said this or she didn't say that. But I think she did a good job. She's she's not living anymore. But uh, Okay. A town called Chase, Joyce Dunn. That's right. Right on. All right, well, I think we can wrap it up there. That's about 40 minutes. That was fantastic. Thank you so much. Well, you're welcome. I, uh, you've By now, you know that my uh, uh, interviewer 
uh, audio skills are not that good. <laughs> oh, you did fine. That was perfect. <laughs> anyway, thanks. All right. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Ralph from Betty's Used Books. If you're ever traveling through the interior of British Columbia and need a good read, be sure to stop in. Thank you. Bye.